So today is the third in the series. I call it a stewardship series. The first one was um, called The Release, and then last week was The Return, and today is The Result. So I want to tie this together, and, and the people send me things that are very, very helpful many times for, for sermon prep, and I file it and come back to it later. But a friend sent me this, and I've, I've taken the liberty of condensing it, but uh, this was really meaningful to me. Some of you have seen this Devo somewhere, but by Paul David Tripp. Here, here's the... I've just shrunk it a bit. Listen to this. This goes so well with our series, God Always First. It is dangerous to live without your heart being captured by awe of God. It's a daily battle, not between people. It is fought within people. It is a battle of awe. We were created to live in a real, heart-gripping, love-inducing, agenda-setting, behavior-forming awe of God. But other awes kidnap our hearts. Now, you know what I'm, it's like A-W-E-S, right? Awe. Other awes seek to shove the awe of God out of our hearts, so we need grace to see again, to tremble again, and to bow down again. And I can't think of a better time for that than the blessing season. At the feet of the only one who deserves our awe. So if we're gonna say awesome every other sentence or paragraph, let's make sure we're pointing to God when we say it. Because he's really the only one that deserves to be said of, you are awesome, you are awesome. Uh, Exodus 23, we've been using for a springboard, some other verses, but I've shrunk this down from the message paraphrase. Remember it? Here it is. This is about the all, the rightful position of God in our lives, God always first. No other gods, only me. Is that clear enough for everybody to understand? No other gods, only me. So someone else sent this to me, and I, I tried to find out how old this little girl was, but I, I haven't found that out yet. But this is a conversation between Bailey He's a pastor in another church, grew up here, and Kenley, his daughter. So here's Kenley. This goes with all God's awesomeness. Some people at school say practice makes perfect, but I told them, no way. Only God is perfect. She must have been listening to our online. Bailey, father, well, honey, that's just a saying when people are working towards getting better at a sport or something, Kenley. I can see her with her hands on her hips, well. They believe what they're saying, and they're wrong. It's only God. That's why we can be in awe of God. Everything isn't perfect in the world, right in the world, but he is always perfect. He was perfect when he discovered the world through the womb of Mary in a manger years ago. So I ask you this question. I hope it's been on your heart and mind. What place does God hold in your heart and home? Nobody can answer that for you. But I encourage you again to ask your spouse, your kids, and your grands, because whether you know it or not, they know what place God is in your life in regards to firstness. And so I've been reading this at the close of this series, 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, that's us, those who have said yes to, to, to a relationship with Jesus in the family. Dear children, and we need to be like more, more like children. That'll be our Christmas series coming up. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Is that understandable? No other gods, only me. Keep away from anything that might take God's place 
in your heart. What's God's place? And Tim Keller quote that I've used, I'm reducing it as well. The last line of his quote says, an idol is anything you seek to give you what only God can give. That's a sobering definition, is it not? Anything we seek other than God to bring what only God can bring to our lives. And still reviewing, I've been saying what is right in your life right now, what is wrong in your life right now, flow from the point and the posture of surrender to God's firstness in your life. And I don't know if firstness is really a word, but it is in my spell check for sure. So I've been teaching, some of you are hearing for the first time, without apology, don't apologize to anyone. God's first is his key. So we choose to release the first and return it. Listen, but we don't ever do that to gain God's love and favor. If you're a child of God, if you've been to the cross, said yes to Jesus, how many of you know you have his favor on your life? You do this, you release and return because you have his love and blessing on your life. It becomes as natural as breathing. It's what you wanna do. It's the result of gratitude. Not entitlement, gratitude. Everything we have has been given to us by God. I love this quote, use it every chance I get. Two of them put together, John Wesley when he wrote years ago and practiced this and lived this, he said, do all the good you can in all the ways you can, to all the souls you can, in every place you can, at all times you can, with all the zeal you can, as long as you ever can. And then he adds, make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. As fully surrendered followers of Jesus, you do these things, you, you put God first. You live generously. That means you give generously with your life. This is a challenge. This, this will challenge you to examine your hearts and your, your attitude, and it'll lead you to take action, starting where you are. Not where you've been, not where you'll be one day, but right here and now. I told you so many stories about growing up. I was raised in a wonderful, wonderful godly home. I've never called it a perfect home. I try to call nothing perfect but God, but it was a wonderful home. My parents modeled and led the way in putting God first in their lives, in their marriage, in our home. I never doubted it. I never doubted it, not for one single minute. We had a home, not just a house. It was filled with God's love, flowing vertically and flowing horizontally. And that spilled out in our neighborhoods, even to Mrs. Searfoss and beyond. I've never gotten over it. I still love him and I love them. And that's the way Dixie and I have raised our children and are trying to influence our grands. So I wanna ask you, I ask you what place God holds in your heart and I wanna come back with this question to you today. Only you can answer it. Do you consider yourself a generous person? I should ask, do other people consider you a generous person? That might be a better measure because the Bible says be careful. We can often misjudge ourselves. But I guess it would look like this. Do you love being generous? Generous people love to be generous. Can I get some agreement out there? My prayer is that you will, by choice, step up to a new level of intentional generosity. 
that you'll set an example and lead the way because you truly believe the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Agreed? Some of you are hesitating, so I'll read the reference in Acts 20, 35. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. Work ethic is still in vogue. If you can work hard, there's still a place for you. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. We need to be teaching our kids and our grands that, don't we? They need to be carrying in grocery bags. They need to be hitting the outlinks box of the Christmas yard. They need to be doing that. I'll tell you, if you can settle it, they can win the battle at a young age, they'll be lifetime givers. I wanna tell you, that works in every realm of life. It is more blessed to give than to receive. What a way to live. Joyful generosity is a result. It's contagious. You've become willing to do anything and everything within your power with God's help so you can make an impact with the blessings of God. As he pours them on and pours them in, you pour them out. Don't miss this opportunity to be fully engaged in what God is doing in your world. A lot of times we don't do anything else, anything because, well, we can't, we can't be making a difference in, in that world over there. It doesn't make any difference. God says, let your light shine where you are in your world. Now, I realize I've been doing this for a lot of years. I've been doing this. I saw a picture of myself, a, a photo op with Benjamin Netanyahu from Israel, the, the prime minister, uh, years ago. And I go, who is that guy? I mean, he had dark hair, not him, but me. And all these years later, my hair has gone blonde. That's carrying all of the responsibility here. That's what it's done for me. But, but I've learned this, that people many times can get uncomfortable when I talk about generosity. But I'm pumped up, I'm passionate about it. We need to talk about it. Many people in our culture are not generous, though we have more than ever. And this includes those inside and outside, the church, the gathering. This is a truth for you, regardless whether you have little or much. Generosity, listen, generosity has nothing to do with how much or how little you have. It's an inside-out attitude. Oh, as far as I know, I've never had any generous people get uncomfortable when I've talked about generosity. Isn't that interesting? So if you get real defensive, you might wanna look within, okay? Look at God's word. Generosity is one of our stated and practiced core values at Worcester Naz. Generosity flows from the joy of being used by God to touch people, to make a difference. Generous people invest their lives in order, the first release and return to God. God always first. And by so doing, we point to him. If I would take a poll on the street, a man and woman on the street, most Americans would say they don't feel rich and they, they did disclaim that, do a disclaimer, but they are. And on the contrary, most people think they're generous, but they're really not. Instead of comparing yourself to people who have more, maybe it's time for us to start comparing ourselves to far more people around the world who have less. Did you catch that? Quit comparing yourself to those you think have more and start looking around all those, the blessing of God, how much he's blessed you beyond measure. You are blessed. More stats that I didn't give last week, but the average American, you could summarize, it gives about 2.5% of what they bring in to charities, to faith organizations, whatever. But listen to this. It rapidly falls to 1% or less when people top $100,000 a year in income. Did you hear that? 
In other words, I read it this way, the more blessed they are, the less percentage they give. That's not generosity and that's not God honoring. Thought. God's firstness matters. I was thinking about the Lord's Prayer that we pray often that we teach to our, our kids around here. But I was thinking about the, the opening in the King James, our Father which art in heaven. You could, you could accurately pray, our firstness who is in heaven. Got it? I hope some of you that sticks. I hope you put it in your spell check. Firstness. That only refers to him. I'm convinced that most people aren't generous because they just don't feel like they can be. There's not enough. They're afraid. And they can even end up hoarding, having little or much because they're hurting, they're whatever. Many, it's true, have been raised with what I call an Eeyore scarcity mentality. Many authors have written about this. There's never enough. I'm always behind. I can't catch up. I guess it'll always be that way, an endless cycle. Is that you? Here's the scarcity cycle. Here's what it looks like. God provides. We consume. We're not generous, and we're miserable. So I want to ask you again. Are you a generous person? Do you think about how much or how little you can give? I, I want you to think about it. I mean, when we, when we do Christmas bags, do you think, oh, oh yeah, we'll do one. Well, that's great, we'd love for everybody to join together, but I think we ought to consider, what I, Dixie and I say, what can we do because of the blessing that we've had? We're gonna do more than one. Are you with me on that? I don't, I never bring just a dollar for the Outlinks box, that's always for others. We put dollars away, we budget it, so we have them to bring to give them away. I, I, I want everybody to do at least one, but everybody can do, and you can do far more. Or, or, or the Christmas jars that we'll be kicking off today. Dixie and I have been saying, we have jars and jars saved up just from a year ago. We don't, we don't think about how little we can do, we wanna think about how much we can do. Do you settle for the minimum, or do you go for the maximum? Does your giving, does your returning reflect God's blessing to you and yours? Ah, boy, it's quiet in here today. Where's my amen corner? Yeah. Do you have a just enough or do you have and then some attitude? I wanna have an and then some attitude. Do you? Well, I think we're coming to a video that we have one of our, our dear ones who attends church, a faithful leader here, uh, He's recorded a, his journey, their journey. So would you give attention, please, to the screen, and let's hear a true story from a Jeremiah Friend. So for a portion of my early walk with Jesus, uh, I was conditionally surrendered. That means I was really good at giving my time and talents to the Lord, but I was not a faithful tither. When it came to finances, I just held on for dear life. Part of that was fear. Um, part of that was selfishness. Um, I was afraid because I would never have enough. You know, I always needed more to cover the unexpected. I was selfish because I thought I deserved things because I was a hard worker. But simply put, I did not trust God with my finances. So I would always set a threshold, a set of criteria for myself, a way to measure the point at which I could start tithing. And this was, again, selfishly controlling 
not trusting God, not putting God first. So, you know, I always, I always said I needed, I needed a certain amount of my savings account, or I needed that raise at work, and then I could give the extra, or I just needed some level of stability before I could start tithing. Um, and so God really has a sense of humor because I actually became a faithful tither at the, the most unstable point in my life. I, I had just left a job, full-time job, with consistent paychecks and paid health insurance and stability. And, and the truth is, I reached stability multiple times in my, in my life as, as a follower. But during this most unstable time in my life, um, I was just convicted by, through my own prayer, through words of wisdom from my wife, through perfectly timed messages from pastor, I was just convicted that I knew what I needed to, to do and now was the perfect time because if I'm gonna trust him, this was the most unstable time of my life and I had nothing but trust to lean on at that point. As an entrepreneur, there's, there's months with no paycheck, there's months with multiple paychecks, but since I've put God first and faithfully tithe, I, I don't worry. The moment a fleeting thought of worry about what's next comes into my mind, God comes through with a new job that promises income for a fixed period of time. Um, he's, he's come through with a, an annuity check from a loved one passed on. But, but it's not just financial. Um, our family has, has gone through unimaginable situations and we have come through victoriously. Um, situations where the world would say, give up, cut bait, move on, it's over. But God brought us through those situations. He's given us a message of hope uh, he's given us a testimony that we've already used and I know we're going to use again and again to bring others to him. In Malachi, the Lord actually says, test me in this when it comes to money. God talks a lot about money in the Bible because I think it's the most tangible way to measure our faithfulness. So putting him first, allows him to pour his blessings out on us. He says in Malachi again, the, the Lord will open the windows of heaven and he'll pour blessings out on us greater than we can even imagine and we have room to store. And, and that's much bigger than hoarding my tithe and putting it in a savings account. You'll never get anywhere doing that. Thank you, Jeremiah, for sharing. Jesus followers have a different mindset. We don't live in a cycle of scarcity anymore. God did something for us unbelievable through Jesus, and we do something in response. And then God does more, and he does more. It's the cycle of abundance, if you will. We live generously. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Read several verses there, just a few. 
You must each decide in your own heart. Let these words sink in. In your own heart, you must decide how much to give. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 to 9. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that's been changed, someone wrote. If you feel manipulated and pressured, don't give. It's got to be a hard thing where you want to, where you settle it, it trumps your feel like it or circumstances. You must have that conviction, and that's not bad, that's not condemnation. You must settle that conviction to know that there's joy in living generously all the time. God loves you to give cheerfully, the scriptures say, and to be full of joy. It's a massive blessing, it's a privilege it's a, to, to be generous. There's no lack because God has promised to provide what you need because he wants you to share with others. It's not just for you alone and yours alone. I love that, don't you? And these deeds, these acts of generosity will be remembered forever. I mean, God's gonna get all kind of glory through generosity. Father, bring glory to your name. John 12, 28 says, God loves it when you're generous. Can you hear his words? Well done, well done. People love it too. Generosity, how many of you know, is a powerful witness. Have you ever been influenced by the generosity of others? I have, and I continue to be. Well, here's some God results as I round the corner. As the followers of Jesus, we do this because God does it. We give generously because we know that God takes it and breaks it and blesses it and he multiplies it extravagantly. Let's go to verses 10 and 11 of 2 Corinthians 9. For God is the one who gives God. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and, and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Don't you love that line? Listen, a great harvest of generosity, where? In you. It flows from the inside out. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when you, we take our, your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. You know what we call that? Pointing and praising God from whom all blessings flow. God is the one who provides. God is the one who provides. He gives us everything. He's the one who gives us resources that we can extend to others. This isn't scarcity, it's abundance. That harvest of generosity in the likes of you and me. In this endless cycle of living, you'll be enriched in every way, the Bible says. This is so, you can always live generously. God's blessing of generosity is in us and through us. It'll cause people to bless God for all he's done. Bless God for Christ his son. Let us magnify him for he's holy. The desire to and the act of returning, releasing, and giving the first thing, that's what you want to do. It really becomes an act of worship as I read in Romans 12, verse one last week. We return to God because he gave first to us. That's an act of worship. It's what I like to call the great return. 
God set the example, read in John 3, 16a from the message, this is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. We represent him. God gives, we release and return. God multiplies. It's God who gives the increase so that you can give and then increases the harvest so you can give more. And you know what happens when that happens? Your God confidence grows. Your faith expands. As you worship and invest in God's economy, you gain greater boldness. You no longer are afraid to return the first and release it. It helps set and keep the heart and home in proper order. God is into order. God's firstness. Deuteronomy 14, 23b states it very clearly once again. The purpose of tithing, we call it returning, is to teach you always to put God first in your life. Is that coming through? God is first in everything. It doesn't take faith to give God leftovers and scraps. It does take and build faith to return the first and to release it. Refers, re returning the first of increase constantly reminds you that he's first. You gave your first to me, oh God, the best. It's an honor and joy to return to you. I've told you repeatedly that Dixie and I practice faithfully returning God's tithe. The first thing we record in our checkbook every month after increase, it's giving, giving to God, returning, giving offerings and returning the tithe. Every week, in and through largely this local church. I'm so thankful that this discipline has been embedded in my heart. It was as a child. It teaches me and us to share rather than to hold and to hoard. And as I said before, I so want my children and my grands to live this way too. It builds faith. Jeremiah referred to it, but in Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will always be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. That's God's word. It's the only place in the Bible we know of we're instructed to test God. If you don't believe it, if you're not sure, test me, try me, give it a shot. What in the world do you have to lose? That's what I read. Listen, God has absolutely no limitations or shortages. He doesn't take his clues from the state of our economy. When you decide to return the first, he blesses it and multiplies it. He builds your faith and creates a harvest of generosity. And he said, I will keep building my church and I'll do it through your faithfulness. You know what I believe? I gave you an example last, last um, uh, week of where, where we would be as a church if people hadn't been faithful in these last three crazy turbulent years. But, but we were experiencing greater blessing than we've ever known. And here's what I believe with passion today. I believe that a life-giving church that keeps standing on and walking in God's truth, refusing to cave to culture, will continue to thrive in this economy and moving forward. Any agreement out there? Life-giving churches will thrive where Jesus is proclaimed, where we're not gonna waver to the right or to the left, straight ahead. When you're obedient and worship in this way by releasing and returning, God blesses and provides. You wanna keep that cycle moving and going. It rearranges your life and it aligns with God's priorities as it gives you. You can, you can impact your world with generosity. It builds your faith and moves you into that abundance zone. I wanna tell you, it's transforming. It provides resources, returning God's tithe and releasing it first. This is his work through the church and he said he'd build it, gathering of God's people. It's a system that God created long ago to perpetually build his kingdom and advance the church. 
Malachi 3.10 again, bring your full tithe to the temple treasury so there'll be ample provisions in my temple. Then he says, test me and I'll pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. That's from the message. And you gotta think about it. Wherever you are today, you may be visiting, but think about your local church, whatever it is. Just think about the way God has touched you in a spiritual and deep way in your family through a life-giving church. Aren't you thankful for that? It's being touched now, and now it's your church, and you're doing the same thing to others. This happens because God's people have been faithful, past and present. That's why you're able to get spiritual nourishing in this gathering or the gathering of your choice, because this is what we do as genuine followers of Jesus. I'm to the end. As far back as I can remember, I have returned God's tithe. I was taught the first penny of a dime, the first dime of a dollar, the first dollar of a 10, and so on. I don't think I saw anything beyond a 10 as a kid. I considered it and consider it investing in eternity. It gives me significance and joy to worship him in this way. And Dixie and I are united in this. God gives and you release and return the first and God blesses and he multiplies and your faith grows and there's a harvest of generosity and people point and praise God who's in heaven. That's what I call giving living. I was thinking of that passage in, in James 5, 16 and, but I reworded it. I think it, doesn't, it still does just, justice. You can look it up but prayerful generosity has great power and produces wonderful results. Lay that over that verse in James 5, 16. And let me come back to this phrase. God's firstness applies gentle, constant, corrective pressure to the priorities of your life. That's why firstness matters. So in this blessing season that we're gonna take another step into in the closing minutes of this service, after Pastor Joel comes, we're gonna close with the blessing season story and of the Christmas jar. But in this blessing season, 2022, I just wanna say boldly that God firsters can still positively impact their world. Hey, are you a God firster? I'm starting a new club, God firsters. Are you a God firster? It'll show up in every area. I want God to be first. God, I'm a God firster, are you? Let's be God firsters. I'm gonna tell you, that'll get the attention of the world. They'll be scratching their heads trying to figure it out. But that's what happens in life-giving, spirit-filled groups of people like us when we gather together. Amen? Pastor Joel, would you come and talk them through our cards again? We had a great response next week. We, we're gonna carry this through, and then I'll come back with the Christmas jar. We'll do. Don't we appreciate Thank Pastor Joel? We criticize the way he dresses, but other than that, it's okay. Thank you, Pastor. And I, I can echo, some of you heard my testimony last week, I can echo what Jeremiah said, that I was in that place of stability and didn't return, wasn't generous. And then I was in a place of less stability and God convicted me and we became more generous and returned and I would never go back, never go back. But we, last week we handed out some cards. A lot of you may have received them. If you didn't get them, you can uh, raise your hand or whatever if you like one. Our guys are in the back and can get one to you. But, but just like with any, any other message we hear, any other, any other challenge from God's word, we wanna respond. We wanna do what he's calling us to do. And so we've got some pictures, I think, of the card that we can put up on the screen as well for you to see. But 
on these cards, there's really, there's two, two things we're asking. And the first, the baseline is to, to respond to what pastor's been teaching about God first, about returning the tithe. And there's a place on the card for you to indicate, maybe, maybe you're not ready to take that step of the full tithe, but you're, you wanna do something. So maybe I'll begin to return whatever percentage. Maybe you're feeling that tug from God and you're saying, I'm ready to begin putting God first in that full tithe, that, that 10%. And then maybe you just wanna just praise him by saying, I'm gonna continue to give the first. And then the second, the second ask is during this harvest season, the harvest blessing, love offering that we talk about, love gift, is going above and beyond that. Am I willing to do something above and beyond that to be generous with an offering in addition to my regular return? And we've given some ideas there of, of maybe what you can do. But as you get those cards, you can feel free to bring them forward this morning. Maybe you wanna go ahead and make that commitment. You're ready to do that. You can come lay it on the altar as a symbol of, of giving back to God, of putting him first, putting the card up here. Maybe you need to take one and continue to pray about it a little bit more. But regardless, as God says in his word, put me to the test in this. We wanna put him first and we can't imagine the ways that he will pour out and bless us. If you've got questions, you can stop by the info center on the way out, find me afterwards. But we wanna to continue to put God first in every way.